Well, amen. That was beautiful. So thankful for our ladies singing. Um, every year, usually in the fall and the spring at the change of the seasons, uh, I end up getting something that goes straight to my voice. Uh, and that's what happened to me last week. Uh, you'll have to bear with me today, but you can be thankful that due to the fact that the doctor uh, heavily medicated me, I am about 90% better than I was three days ago. Uh, I've always said that it's a measure of humility because it's my main tool uh, for what I do with my voice. And uh, each year when the seasons change and the pollen hits heavy, it's always something that affects me. So I'm grateful to be able to be uh, as good as I am today anyway, uh, health-wise, to be able to preach. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at the next part of this verse in a message entitled, Jesus is Our Sanctification. And I'll read that verse again here in just a moment. Some of you might remember uh, the old movie, Tender Mercies. It came out in the early 1980s, and it won Academy Awards for both the screenwriter Horton Fort and also the famed actor uh, Robert Duvall. Uh, Duvall played a once famous but washed up country music singer-songwriter named Mac Sledge. He was stringing dead-end jobs together uh, while he battled his addiction to alcohol. A young widow named Rosalie and her little boy Sonny uh, befriended Mac, and late in the movie, both Mac and the boy uh, after having attended this local Baptist church, uh, they get baptized there, and they're driving home in the, in the pickup truck, and they begin to talk. Sonny says, well, we've done it, Mac. Uh, we're baptized. Mac says, yeah, we are. Sonny said, everybody said I was going to feel like a changed person. I guess I do feel a little bit different, but I don't feel a whole lot different. Do you? Mac says, not yet. Sonny said, you don't look any different. And then Sonny looked up in the rearview mirror and he says, Mike, do you think I look any different? Mike says, not yet. Now, you wouldn't necessarily want to build your theology off of tender mercies. But the general story of it and the theme of redemption in that scene in particular, I think does have some application to our lives. No matter where you've come from, or what your past is, your life can change. That change is real when we come to know Christ as our Savior. But then us seeing that or maybe other people witness it, with, witnessing it in our lives may take some time to develop. Because when we come to faith in Christ, we are eternally changed. And the confidence in that change that we have experienced, thankfully, is not in our feelings or our emotions, but in who God is and the truth of his word. At that moment of salvation, when you are rescued from death and you're given life, life with God, then you're set on a new path that will lead you all the way to eternity with God. And this is really what our subject of spiritual formation is all about. It's the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus for the glory of God, for our own good, 
and also for the blessing of others. We focused in this series on Romans 8 and verse 29, where it says that those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So as I've said to you, God's plan for your life and God's plan for my life is that we might grow to be more like Jesus. Now, how is that possible? We come now to the subject of sanctification. We've already touched on this in the series, but we're going to take a more thorough look at it today. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 and 31 says, It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our statement of faith says that sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart for God's purposes and is enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And it says growth in grace should continue throughout the regenerate person's life. So I want you to think about it this way. Regeneration is the new birth. That's when we enter into this relationship with God. Sanctification, while it takes place also at regeneration, which is what I'm going to talk about here in just a moment, sanctification throughout your Christian life is growth. And then glorification is completion. So regeneration is the starting line. Sanctification is the growth throughout your Christian life. And glorification will be the completion of it all. Listen to this Bible dictionary definition of sanctification. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. God wants you to live according to his design and purpose for you, neither of which are by accident. The New Testament word for sanctification means holiness. So to be sanctified is to be made holy, set apart by God to become more like him. So in these few moments that we have together, I want to share with you three aspects of sanctification. And the first is this. By faith, we are positionally sanctified in Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, in the focus on Jesus being our righteousness from God, we were reminded very clearly that a person cannot make themselves righteous. So in other words, you can't put yourself in right standing with God. You, you can't be good enough. You, you can't do it on your own. It's only something that God does for you by his grace. And imputed righteousness means that when God justifies you and he declares you righteous, he credits the righteousness of Jesus to your account. So when you repent and believe, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to you so that God sees it 
as belonging to you. It's freely given to you when God declares you to be righteous. So we looked at the example of Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him or reckoned to him as righteousness. It's the same thing for you and me. When we believe God, then the righteousness of Jesus is reckoned to us. It is credited to our account. So while perfect righteousness is required for our salvation, what God does for us is he just freely gives it to us as a gift. Positional sanctification is dependent on your justification. It is a change in status at the moment that you come to know Christ. When you believe, when your sins are forgiven, you are declared righteous. You're made into a new creature in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Now, there are two words in the New Testament that are uh, translated in different ways. One referring to something that has just been made, but there are other things like it. The word new in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 means something that is new, that has just been made, but there's not anything else like it in existence. It is an entirely new creation. That's what God does for us when we are dead to sin and we are made alive in God. God does not just clean up our old selves. He makes us entirely new. Listen how Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. He says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So this new nature is now empowered to fellowship with God, which was our original purpose to begin with, to obey God, which brings glory to him, and to do his will, which gives us the blessing of being a part of his plan. And I would say to you, this is very practical and applicable because your position in Christ also speaks to your confidence in Christ, your confidence in your salvation. And I think sometimes people struggle with doubt. Probably all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have struggled with doubt, uh, either for a moment or maybe for a season or maybe even for a long time. And that doubt can cause us to have a lack of confidence in our faith. And if we're not careful Doubt can be self-defeating, and we get guilty because we doubt, and then we worry about that as well. I like what Henry Drummond had to say about this subject. He said, we are born questioners. Look at the wonderment of a little child in its eyes, even before it can speak. The child's great word when it begins to speak is why. Every child is full of every kind of question 
about every kind of thing that moves and shines and changes in this little world that, it, that we live in. That's the incipient doubt in the nature of man. And then Drummond says, respect doubt for its origin because it's inevitable. It is not a thing to be crushed. It's part of how we've been made. But here's what he says. Doubt is a prelude to knowledge. And if we remain in our doubt and we don't have confidence out of that when we look at who God is and what he's done for us, then we're missing out on the blessing. So here's what I want to say to you. If and when you doubt, if your faith is in Jesus, you need to remind yourself that you are a blood-bought child of God. You have a heavenly father who loves you and you have a savior who has promised to never leave you. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's what positional sanctification does in part. It answers this question. Who am I in Jesus? In other words, what is my standing and what is my hope? What is my position because of my faith in who he is? The second aspect of sanctification is that through surrender, we are progressively sanctified in Jesus. Now, it's interesting that some throughout the ages have taught the concept of sinless perfection in this life. It's just the basic idea that it's possible at some point in the Christian life for us to reach a point at which we no longer sin. That's what they've taught. Now, there are many problems with that idea, but the main problem with it is that the Bible does not teach it. Sin feeds off of the fallen world that we live in, and sin feeds off of our flesh and our shortcomings, and we know that it's a reality that we're going to struggle with. And while we cannot reach sinless perfection, we can make significant progress in holiness as we grow to be more like Jesus. John deals with this very subject in 1 John chapter 1. And here's what he says in verse 8 through 10. He said, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John makes it very clear. He's writing to Christians, people like us. And he says, you're going to deal with this. But here's how you're going to deal with your sin as a Christian. You're going to confess it, and God is going to be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. Now, while positional sanctification is connected to justification, progressive sanctification differs 
from justification. Justification is a one-time declaration of God. It's in that moment that you're made a new creature in Christ that you are declared to not be guilty in Jesus. Progressive sanctification, while it is anchored in your justification, it is an ongoing development of your likeness of Jesus. Someone said justification is the starting line in the Christian life, and progressive sanctification is the line that we run from the start to the finish. It's the track that we are on from the beginning of the Christian life until that moment when we are finally in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says this, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the idea here is what is taking place in your life from glory to glory. What growth is taking place in this life that God has invited you into? Because that's what God does basically. He, he invites us into life with him. And you'll note in that verse that I just read in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, that this life is available to all. He says, we all. It means it is not for a special class of Christians. This is not just super saints. This is for every believer. We with unveiled faces, with, with no, nothing between us and God. That's a reference to, to Moses in the Old Testament. You remember because he had encountered the glory of God in such a powerful way that his face had to be veiled from the people. And we are looking, we are beholding. So what's happening here is more than just a casual glance of convenience. This is a careful study of the face of God, of the glory of God. And we're looking as in a mirror. And when Paul uses that reference of a mirror, mirrors in those days were not as high quality as they are today. And sometimes I wish they wouldn't be as high quality as, as they are today uh, because we get a more true image of what we really look like. But at any rate, they were usually made of polished metal. And they would give what amounted to almost a, a cloudy or a... Uh, distorted uh, image, uh, maybe not as bad as a funhouse mirror uh, at a carnival, but something that wasn't quite true to picture. So Paul is essentially saying, we can see the glory of God now, but it's not yet fully clear. And as we are looking into the mirror and we are beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. That God is changing our lives from the inside out so that we are becoming more 
like Jesus. There's a short story uh, written by Nathaniel Hawthorne entitled The Great Stone Face. He wrote this little short story in uh, 1850. And he tells the story of a boy who lived in a village just below a mountain. Upon the mountain was the image of a great stone face looking down ever so solemnly, so seriously upon the people of the village. There was a legend that said that someone someday was coming to the village who would look just like that great stone face. And when he came to the village, he would do wonderful things for the village and would be a great means of blessing to the people. Well, the story gripped the little boy. And the little boy would slip away and hour after hour, he would stand looking at the great stone face. And he would think of the story of the one who was coming to help the village. Well, in the short story, years passed by and the man did not come. And still the boy, now a young man, did what he did when he was a boy. He would go and he would sit and he would contemplate this great stone face. And he would wonder when this one was coming. Well, his age passed and middle age came. And still he couldn't forget that legend until finally old age came upon him. And one day as he walks into the village, the people looked at him. And they said, he has come. The one who has the face like the great stone face. And the moral of the story in the Nathaniel Hawthorne short story is that the boy became like what he contemplated. And there's a spiritual parallel here in that we will become what we contemplate. We will become like Jesus if we look to Jesus and his word and his spirit. And if we want to grow in grace, we need to contemplate Jesus and to grow in who he is and what he has done and meditate upon it. So practically speaking, how does progressive sanctification take place? Not by sheer willpower, not by guilt, certainly not by performance. All of these come up short and they leave us discouraged and frustrated. The transformation comes according to what Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. By the spirit of the Lord. That's how it happens. And in the high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus asked that God the Father would sanctify us by his word. For his word is truth. So progressive sanctification answers in part the question, who am I becoming in Jesus? And that leads me to the third aspect. And that is in heaven, we will be perfectly sanctified in Jesus. Now, according to our statement of faith, and more importantly, according to the Bible, there is coming a time in the future in the presence of God when God will have finished 
the good work in us that he has started. And we will be glorified. So I want you to tie this together. Your sanctification and mine will result in our glorification. It's a guaranteed truth from the word. Glorification is the culmination of our salvation. And our statement of faith says it is the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. So when Paul said in Colossians 1 and verse 28, in him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning every man and teaching everyone with all wisdom, he says, this is why we're doing it. So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word mature is also translated perfect. It means complete. We do not proclaim ourselves or our opinions. We proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. And every single believer will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and presented as holy before the living God. You say, well, what, is, what does glorification include? What, is, what does that mean? How's that, how's that going to affect us? Well, it will include the redemption of your body. It will include an inheritance that is eternal and undefiled. It will include deliverance from the wrath of God in judgment. So you can think about it this way. In sanctification, believers have been freed from the penalty of sin. That's your position in Christ. Believers are being freed from the power of sin. That's the progressive growth in the likeness of Jesus. And believers will be freed from the presence of sin. That's your glorification. Romans 8 and verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Jesus also prayed in the high priestly prayer in John 17 and verse 24. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Only that which is good and holy and honoring to God will be in heaven. The world, the flesh, the devil, not going to trouble us anymore. Everything that is not holy will pass away. Can you imagine it? In heaven, there will be no sin or suffering, or sorrow, or pain. And the greatest treasure of it all is that we will know perfect joy in the presence of God. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
There's a story from the life of the Puritan Richard Baxter from a time when he was about 35 years old. He faced an almost total collapse in his life. Health-wise, he thought he was about to die, and he began to meditate on heaven. And it encouraged him to uh, write the book, The Saints' Everlasting Rest. His central text was Hebrews 4 and verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Baxter observed that it was harder for God to persuade Israel to enjoy his Sabbath of rest in a land of rest than it was for God to actually overcome the enemies and procure the land for them. He said, likewise, it is difficult to teach believers to look for a further rest, which is indeed their happiness. And then Baxter identified those things contained in our heavenly rest. He said, the first being a ceasing from means of grace, like prayer and fasting and weeping and preaching and the ordinances. He says, when we have obtained the haven, we have done our sailing. And then he says, we will find a perfect freedom from all evils. Personal perfection, both of body and soul. The nearest enjoyment of God. And the intriguing paradox is that we will both rest and work as we worship and experience God as the greatest inheritance of it all. So I say to you, perfect sanctification in heaven, in the future, in part answers the question, who will I be and what will I experience someday in the presence of God? So let's put these together. First of all, who am I? That's my position. What am I growing to be? That's my progress. Who will I be when I'm finally with God in heaven? That's our glorification. And I ask you this question in closing. Is your life consistent with the knowledge you have about Jesus? Do you have that security? Do you see the purpose of God growing you and shaping you by his word and his spirit? And are you living with joy because you have a future promise of hope and blessing in the presence of God? Is your life consistent with the knowledge you have about Jesus? Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. In just a moment, Pastor Eric's going to come and sing a closing song with us, and I'll come back for a concluding remark. But I want you to think about this word that we've just considered, not in theory, but in real-life practice. Like, what difference does this make tomorrow in your life? Does it shape what your priorities are? Does it determine what your focus is? Does it build your faith? 
in who God created and redeemed you to be. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of the Christian life. God, I thank you today that we have a Savior who lived and died and now lives again. We thank you for the gift of everlasting life in him that we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal hope. But in the meantime, we want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus. Uh, even so, not yet, as we grow in who we are. Father, I pray if there are any who have never met you as their Savior, Jesus Christ as their Lord, I pray that in these moments they would take that step of faith. There may be some fresh commitments that need to be made. People might have gotten off track. They're not not focused as they should be with their eyes on Jesus. I pray that we are not yet what we will be, but that it will be because we keep our eyes fixed on the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we give this time of close and response over to you, Lord. You work as you see fit. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.